Good morning. That didn't bless you. Your blesser's broken. Sorry, I know I'm on live stream, but. That seat's for Jesus. And we'll, we'll come back to this later on, but I hope you realize that that represents him, but he's already been here. Jesus is here. All right. Psalm 96 this morning. Psalm 96. A couple things to help us with the context of this psalm that you may find helpful. This psalm is all about declaring the glory of God because the king is coming. In this psalm, the psalmist writes, the Lord reigns, and then at the end, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. This psalm was written in response to the Ark of the Covenant coming back into Jerusalem and literally into the very temple of God. For those of you that are not familiar, and I don't want to take too much time to talk about this this morning, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the very presence of God amongst his people. And there was a time in Israel's history where they began to treat the Ark of the Covenant as sort of a good luck charm that they could take into battle and simply because they had the Ark of the Covenant with them that they could defeat their enemy. And because of that, they lost, if you will, the Ark of the Covenant in a battle with the Philistines and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant from the people of God. Now, God made sure that he was well taken care of while he was in Philistine territory in fact, one of the funniest stories in the Bible we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. But anyway, enough about that. They get the Ark of the Covenant back. And as the Ark of the Covenant is approaching Jerusalem, getting ready to come into the temple, this psalm is being written about the king is coming back into his place. So that's sort of the historical context of of what inspired this psalm. This psalm also was the inspiration primarily for Isaac Watts writing the great song that you and I sing at Christmas time called Joy to the World, which if you know, I've always had the pet peeve that that technically is not a Christmas song. It's a song about our coming king, coming not the first time to be born in Bethlehem, but to come and rule and reign over the earth. Joy to the world, let earth receive her king. Psalm 90 through 99 are called the enthronement psalms. They are about the Lord being the king. And when Isaac Watts read this psalm, he was so inspired that he sat down to write Joy to the world. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong that we sing joy to the world at Christmas time, but it's more appropriate that we remember that that song was inspired by this psalm written about the coming king to rule and reign over the earth. This psalm also 
is a great reminder to us about why we do what we do here at the Oasis. That we are a church that has two pillars, if you will. Worship of God and the Word of God. And how we want the Word of God to be something that we encourage each other to get into because the more we learn about our God from his word that he has revealed to us, then the more hopefully inspired and fueled and driven we will be to worship him. And then the more we worship him, the more we want to go back into his word and learn more about him so that we can worship him even more. It's a cyclical thing. It's it's to be complementary of each other. And you see this throughout the psalm. And so the way I want to lay out this psalm this morning is to first look at all the wonderful things the psalmist says about our God. And then the second part of the message is, what does the psalmist teach us about what should be our response as the people of God to what we are learning about the person of God, if you will. And, and remember something. This psalm is written to the people of God to tell them this is how we should be acting as we prepare for our coming king. In a sense, the psalmist is saying, we need to practice because one day when the king comes and sets up his earthly kingdom, and then it goes on in through eternity, you and I, the people of God, will be part of that kingdom forever and ever, and we will rule and reign with him forever and ever. And so God doesn't want us to wait until we begin to experience the reality of his kingdom on earth to begin to put into practice how we should be acting. No, God says, start now. Start now as the people of God on earth what we should be doing, and then we can just keep doing that throughout all of eternity as people within the kingdom of God. So, Psalm 96. Let's look first at some of the things that he says about God. Notice, I'll start with verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Announce every day how he delivers. He is the only one who can truly save, deliver, and rescue any of us. He's a God who saves. He's mighty to save. And, and when you and I are looking to be rescued or delivered or saved, obviously he's talking ultimately about our salvation and being saved from the power of darkness and, and translated into the kingdom of of God and, and having the, the power of sin broken in our life and having the penalty of sin over us taken care of through the sacrifice of the Lord. But this also could be applied to anything that you and I need to be rescued from, anything that you and I need to be saved or delivered from, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, God is a God of salvation. And we should be worshiping him because he's a God who delivers. He has always delivered his people. He's always capable of delivering his people, and he's capable of delivering you today from whatever maybe has a grip on your life, whatever you need rescued from, whatever you need saved from, God is the one who can do it. 
And then notice, verse 3, tell the nations about his splendor or his glory. He's a glorious God. In fact, in verse 6, we are to ascribe to the Lord splendor and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the splendor he deserves, the glory he deserves. What is the glory of God? Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 3.1, to him, God, be glory in the church. Well, how do you and I give glory to God within the context of the church? And by the way, all these psalms we've been looking at, just like the book of Joshua, is all given to the corporate body, to the community of believers. Yes, we are to worship God individually, but God calls us to come together as his people and to worship him in a corporate setting, and that's very much. So how, how do we give glory to God in the church? How do we give glory to God in our lives? to allow him to be seen for who he really is. That's giving him glory. To let God be reflected for who he really is. That's how you and I give him glory. Not to diminish him in any way, but in a sense it is to keep him high and lifted up and exalted as we sung about and elevated and, and great. It's to magnify the greatness of God. The psalmist says, let the Lord be magnified. That's what it means to give him glory, to know that there's nothing too hard or too difficult to, for him, to be a people of faith that will totally trust him with anything and everything. That's letting others see him for who he really is, that we literally rely and depend upon him every day for everything because we know he's got us and he's got whatever situation or circumstance we may be in. That's how you and I give glory or splendor to the Lord. Notice it says in, also in verse 3, tell all the nations about his amazing deeds, his miracles, his wonders, do we believe that we, you know, are related to a God who still does miracles, who's always done miracles, who has the ability and the capability and the power to do miracles and wonders in this world and amongst his people? I hope so. I hope we still believe that that he's a God who delivers and saves, that he's a God who's glorious, that he's a God who does miracles and wonders. And then verse 4, for the Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. Literally, he's greater. There is nothing or no one greater than God. He is the greatest, you see. And this is what the psalmist is just pouring out and revealing to us about God and why we should worship him. What is the foundation, fuel, inspiration, motivation for our worship? He delivers. He's glorious. He does amazing deeds. He's greater than anyone or anything. Verse 4, he is more awesome or all-inspiring than all gods. He's the only God. He's the one true God. And he does all-inspiring things. God ever done something awe-inspiring in your life? I sure hope so. 
If nothing else, if you're here today and you're a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's an all-inspiring thing right there. The fact that he's taken all of our sin, placed it on his spotless, sinless son, and that by his sacrifice and death on the cross, he took all of that away and then in turn gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's pretty all-inspiring. He's an all-inspiring God. For all the gods of the nations, verse 5, are worthless, but the Lord made the sky. He's a creator God. He created each and every one of us. We are special, unique creations of God. And he created this universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just look around at creation and how can you not be all inspired by creation? And folks, as beautiful as some places on this planet still are, think about it. This earth is under a curse and it's beautiful in so many ways. Can you imagine then what heaven's going to be like? When the curse is like, can you imagine what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like whenever there is no more curse? We think things are beautiful now. And by the way, God's going to give us glorified eyeballs to be able to take it all in. Because I don't think we could be able to stand it all. You know. Verse 6, majestic splendor emanates from him. Literally in the Hebrew, magnificence and beauty. You ever think about the fact that our God is beautiful and he's magnificent? He's marvelous? I mean, even in that physical sense, yes, he's, he's a spiritual being, but when you read about the person of God and even the Lord Jesus Christ who does take on human flesh, there's beauty there. He's the pearl of great price. No one more beautiful than our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Then go down to verse 10. This is one of the main points that the psalmist wanted to make about God. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord is king. The Lord rules. He is on his throne. Always been on his throne. Always will be on his throne. There is no need for anxiety because God is in control. He's the Lord who always reigns. Who's king? The Lord is king. The Lord is king. And all the kings and leaders of the earth are in the hand of of the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord reigns. Notice, the world is established. It cannot be moved. God's got this. God's purposes and plan cannot be thwarted for the world and the universe that he created. He judges the nations fairly. He will judge. He will administer judgment when he comes one day. And by the way, David, who I think was very much behind this psalm, I'm sure as the king who was recognizing the real king, that really stuck out to him because David knew how hard it was to always be 
totally partial and to do everything fairly, if you will, in a leadership position, especially as the one over the whole nation. And so he admired the fact that the king of kings always was going to judge fairly, always was going to do everything without partiality. And I think that just brought such a sense of awe to him as well. And then verse 13, for he comes. He is returning. And when he comes, he's going to come to judge the earth, verse 13. He's going to come not just to come. He's going to come to govern. He's going to come to rule over the earth. He's going to come to set things right. And then he says he judges the world fairly and the nations in accordance with his truth or justice. God is a God of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is the ultimate reality because he's the ultimate truth. But two main things out of all the things here, wonderful things that the psalmist writes about God, he wants us to really focus on the fact that the Lord reigns and he's returning. He's returning. He's coming. So God's people then should be preparing for the return of our king. We should be practicing right now for his return. And we need to keep the return of our Lord at the forefront of our minds all the time. The Bible is filled with references about the Lord's return. Think about that day that the Lord ascended that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 1. The Lord goes up into heaven and this angel appears to the disciples. And the angel says to his disciples, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring up into heaven? This same Jesus who you saw go up is going to come back in the very same way. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come again and receive you unto myself, you see. All about the return of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Bible tells us, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. He's coming. In fact, in the very last verse of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, 21, Jesus says, surely I'm coming quickly or suddenly. And so John just responds, amen, come Lord Jesus. I mean, throughout Old and New Testament, there are reference after reference to the coming of the king, the coming king who is king of kings and lord of lords, the one who is coming, and when he comes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is lord to the glory of God the Father. He's coming. And if we truly believe that, then how should we be preparing ourselves for his coming? What should we be doing in practice, if you will, for the coming of our king and his kingdom that you and I are going to be eternally a part of. Well, back up to verse 1. We've seen the revelation about God in Psalm 96. Now we see the response of God's people to this revelation. And that's worship, folks. That's what worship is all about. It is responding in a proper, fitting way to what God has revealed about himself. So the first thing we see there 
in verses 1 and 2. Sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Keep your worship fresh. Nothing wrong with the older songs, but we need to keep our relationship and our worship and our singing current. And there's always good new songs that are being written and should be sung in the house of the Lord as well. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Notice the universal scope of this psalm as well. It's not just about it stays with us, but that the people of God should be such worshipers that it begins to influence and affect other peoples all around the world, that the church should have a worldwide influence. The book of Acts was certainly about that. The early church was turning the world upside down. Too bad that the church today on earth isn't turning the world upside down. There's as much world in the church as there is church in the world, if you understand what I mean. But we are to sing, sing to the Lord. One of the ways you and I should always be responding to the Lord is to sing. I know singing isn't for some of you, that's what you, you know, maybe enjoy doing or like to do as much as the rest of us, but I'm telling you what, you're going to be singing throughout eternity. So why not get used to singing down here? Okay? Because singing is going to be part, and you're not going to be there in heaven and go, I don't feel like singing. <laughs> you're just not going to do that. So God would say, if you're not going to do that in my presence, oh, wait a minute, I am present, then why aren't you doing it here? Sing. Sing. We need to get the people of God into the auditorium and sing. Sing. Notice, another way we respond, verse 2, is to praise his name. The Hebrew is literally bless his name. It is an act of adoration. It is to adore our God. And blessing his name, his name simply represents all that he has revealed himself to be. So it is literally going around blessing God, giving good reports about him, lifting up his name. I'll even use these terms, boasting about him, bragging about him. That's the lifestyle of the people of God who worship him, not just to sing about him, but to praise him. And then notice the next word, announce, proclaim, spread the news every day of how he delivers and saves and rescues. Wow. Spread the news about God. You and I need to think, how can I spread the news about my God to others? Because God wants us as the church, as the people of God, not just to keep all this wonderful revelation about him to ourselves, but to be so captivated by him and so stirred by him that our worship then begins to influence and go out of us to others and touch other people's lives. We need to learn to not just sing about him and praise him, but to announce every day how he delivers. Notice verse 3, to tell, to recount, to relate to the nations about his splendor, to tell all the nations about his amazing deeds. Look down in verse 10, to say or declare among the nations, the Lord reigns. 
Don't keep the word of God and the revelation of God and the goodness and greatness of God to ourselves, but get it out. Get it out. That's why in some respects our modern technology does help us there. There's a lot of things that can be used negatively about our modern technology, but one of the good things is when used properly with God's people, we can get our message about God and who our God is out to a further audience. And, and God has always been that way. Go and tell the world about me. If you and I really like something or love something, we can't keep it to ourselves, right? I mean, we're that way about the most basic things on earth. I'll even use this example. You find a good place to eat, don't you, like, share that with your, like, oh, I just found this great place. They got amazing food there. Okay, if we're willing to do that with a restaurant, how about not doing it about our God? You want to talk about spreading a feast before us every day. No one does it better than God does. Tell. Then look down in verse 7. Just like there's a triple sing at the beginning of the psalm, there's a triple ascribe in verse 7 and 8. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord splendor and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the splendor he deserves. The word ascribe simply means give him credit. Honor him. Let's face it. There's much throughout history that God gets blamed for that's not his fault. He, he gets... He gets blamed for a lot of things that it's not him. And just the opposite, there's everything that he should be given credit for and honored for that many times he doesn't. And if it doesn't start with us, the people of God, how do we expect the world to acknowledge or recognize him? See, that's why God is saying, it's got to start with my people. My people have to be true worshipers, enthusiastic, devoted, energetic, because if they're not excited about me, if, if, if they're not willing to give me the credit that I deserve for what I've done for them, how are other people going to even begin to think about me in that way? We blame God for a lot. But the psalmist says a true worshiper is going to make sure that God gets the credit he deserves, the honor he deserves, the thanksgiving, the gratitude that he deserves. Verse 8, bring an offering and enter his courts. That's another way we respond to God properly. Literally, a sacrificial tribute to our God. And folks, this isn't just talking about our money, our material offerings. Certainly that's a part of it. And you know if you come here, I don't talk about money or offerings at all. That box just sits back there. In fact, I get, I get chided a little bit sometimes from people, rightfully so, because we have so many new people here and they end up having to go to somebody else and go, I have an offering, what do I do with it? Yeah, our pastor, he never tells people what they should do with their offerings. And I, that's on me, that's on me. But that's just a part of it. Bringing a sacrificial tribute to God isn't just bringing our monetary offerings to the house of God. It's bringing us and our time and our service and ourselves. The ultimate sacrificial tribute 
is us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to him. A living sacrifice. That's the ultimate tribute that we should bring entering his courts. And then verse 9. And this is the one I want to talk about for a few moments because I feel like I need to describe it as much as just talk about it. Worship or bow down to the Lord in holy attire. Now, again, this isn't necessarily speaking about dressing appropriately or fittingly. It's about entering the house of the Lord in a way that is fit for the king. So it's not so much about external, how we look, as much as it is about our attitude, our heart, how we even approach coming to the house of the Lord as God's people. Is it fit for the king? So let me just take a few moments and describe what the psalmist here is trying to convey. If you knew, as a child of God, if you knew that this morning, March 27, 2022, that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, was physically going to be present at the Oasis Church in Gilbert. When you walked through those doors, you were going to, with your own eyeballs, you were going to see Jesus here today. He was going to plant himself right here in the front row at the Oasis Church. And you knew that ahead of time. Would you have slept much last night? And let me ask you this, would you have had any trouble getting ready and getting here on time this morning? If you knew when you walked through those doors, you were going to lay your eyes on Jesus, and you knew he was here, so from the moment you even, like, got up this morning, you might not even be able to, like, even eat anything or whatever, because your stomach would be like, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to see Jesus in, like, an hour or so. And even just getting ready, you were going to be so excited because Jesus was going to be here, right? And so even as you drove your car here this morning, you're like, you're like almost maybe even shaking in anticipation and expectation of, I can't wait to drive on to the, to the parking lot at the Oasis out here. And then as you begin to get out of your car and walk down those steps, you're like, you can't even begin to imagine what it's like when you walk through those doors. And what's it going to be like when you open up that door and you literally see Jesus here? Well, guess what? He is here. He's here every Sunday like that. He's in our presence. Maybe not physically, but he's here spiritually. And he's watching us. And he's taking in everything about us and how we even come in to his house to worship him. And the psalmist is saying, if I truly believe 
that my God is the God that's being revealed to me, that he's that great, that he's the God who delivers, that I should be living a life to give him glory and honor in all things, that, that he's the coming king, that I will be part of his kingdom, and that he's here. And obviously, he's not just here on Sunday, but I want to use Sunday since that's where we're at today. God is saying through his word, are you coming as my people, worshiping me in a way that is fitting for the King of kings and Lord of lords? Is that the way we approach worship of him in the house of God? Or is it like, oh, it's, it's Sunday and I'm tired and it's been a rough week. And, and it may have been. I'm, I'm not minimizing that at all. But again, I go back to my illustration if you physically knew that you were going to see Jesus here in this place today and you were going to experience his presence and you were going to engage with him, would it really have mattered what kind of week you had and how you'd have still drug yourself here because you wouldn't have wanted to miss the opportunity to be in the physical presence of Jesus. Well, guess what? Until we're in his physical presence, I'll take his spiritual presence because it's just as moving. It's just as fulfilling. It's just as satisfying. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying that we're missing today in so many of our churches. We come to church for this reason and that reason and all this instead of coming to meet the king, and to worship the king, and to know that the king of kings and lord of lords is right here in our midst. I think there'd be very few of us that would not in some way have to tweak or adjust how we approach even entering the house of God. In fact, I would dare say that if we had gotten the word out that this morning, March 27, 2022, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be sitting in the front row of the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona. Any Christians want to come and meet Jesus today, I bet that Nicole's probably the first person here on Sunday morning. Nicole would have probably had a line of people way out waiting to get in till the doors be unlocked. It was like they'd be here to crack a dawn. Maybe even some of you, because listen, if we, if we live in a culture, and we all know this, we live in a culture where people wait outside of stores at Christmas time to, to get in and buy material things that we're going to all leave behind when we go to glory. If we're that kind of people, then shouldn't we be the kind of people that can't wait to get into the house of God because we know that God is here and he's going to be present with us and he's going to meet with us and that there's no one or nothing more glorious than our king. And so that's why the psalmist says, worship him, bow down to him in holy attire, fit for the king. So this morning, 
We need to start practicing that. We need to start realizing that our Sundays and our Wednesdays and our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Thursdays and our Fridays and our Saturdays are all opportunities for us as the people of God to prepare for our coming King and to live in a way that is fitting for the one who's coming one day, whose presence then we will be in. And God says, start practicing now. Because throughout all of eternity, all those responses that we looked at today of how the people of God are to respond to the glory of our God are responses that you and I will be doing throughout eternity. We will be singing. We will be ascribing. We will be bringing sacrificial tributes. We will be doing all of that and more throughout eternity. So God says, if that's going to be your eternity, then why not start now? Jesus is here this morning. So let's come and end our time in his house, worshiping him in a way that is fit for the king. Would you stand with me? Our worship team's going to come. And as you stand, would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, May we, the people of God, realize that we are in the presence of one who is all-glorious. That there is no one greater, higher, grander, more marvelous, magnificent, or majestic than you. And you are here with us in this place and God many times we even as the people of God we forget that it's so easy for us to begin to develop habits that are not fitting for our king and so Lord I pray today that for each of us these might be good reminders to us of the kind of response that we should have from our heart to the one who has saved us, the one who has delivered us, the one who has rescued us, and the one who will bring us into your eternal kingdom one day. Oh God, may we continually worship you in a fitting way. And may part of that worship be that we, the people of God, enthusiastically and energetically sing, sing, and sing. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to sing it like you mean it? Let's sing to the Lord today as we respond to him in worship.